get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Man, Cardinals are always the Cardinals, you know? You can never underestimate the Cardinals. 1-1. One, one. Dave Carlson sends a fly ball out to deep center. It's at the wall. It's off the wall, plays it perfectly. Here's his throw to second. He got him. Oh, and a Dylan Carlson with a strike to second. The 2 2. Center to Tease dropped it. He drops it. The throw to the plate, not in time. The Cardinals score a run and still nobody out. He tried to get Tommy Edmond. One, two pitch. Fly ball into center. This will do it. You want eight in a row? You got it. It's a sweep of San Diego. It's 10 games above 500. And this team is rolling. Danny Mack had the call on Valley Sports, and what a weekend it was at Bush Stadium as the Cardinals did complete a sweep of the Padres and have won eight in a row now and have a three-and-a-half game lead in the wild card race. Good morning. It's Carriker and Smallman, 702. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jeweler and Michelle Smallman. That was fun, wasn't it? How do you not listen to that and smile? Great work by Emily. That was unbelievable. I smiled through that entire thing. <laughs> what a weekend for your St. Louis Cardinals. Eight in a row, a sweep of the Padres. are now three games up in the wild card. And at times this season, Randy, we were not having fun, but boy, no. are we having fun now. And you can win a game 8-2 to two if you're the Cardinals. You can win a game 8-7 to seven if you're the Cardinals. As a matter of fact, you can win a game 2-1 to one if you're the Cardinals. They have been 
pretty amazing when you think about it. In these three games, you win 8-2, to 3-2, to 8-7. to seven. And whether it is good starting pitching or great work out of the bullpen or power when you need it or maybe a little help from the opposing team center fielder, <laughs> whatever you need, you get, and that leads to victories. And the Cardinals are clearly now the hottest team in the National League, and they go to Milwaukee for four and they'll have a tough task ahead of them. But in their remaining 14 games, seven against Milwaukee, seven against the Cubs, if they can go four and three and three or three and four against Milwaukee and then five and two against the Cubs, they'll be the wild card team. And on October 5th, they'll be playing in L.A. against the Dodgers or in San Francisco against the Giants for the National League's wild card spot. It's going to be interesting to see how this Cardinals team, this red hot Cardinals team stacks up versus Milwaukee, because even though the Cardinals did split to with the Dodgers, the teams that they have been facing during this stretch, the Reds, the Mets, the Padres have been scuffling a bit. There have been a little bit of issues, and that's not taking anything away from what the Cardinals have been able to accomplish accomplish because it's been unbelievable. You, you can't win eight in a row without doing some good stuff regardless of your opponents, but Milwaukee is a surefire World Series contender, and they're a team that has great pitching. They're, they are a tough team, so it's going to be interesting to see how this Cardinals team stacks up to the Brewers. The Cardinals under John Mozeliak, and really from Tony Larusa on, they have been a franchise that thinks big picture. They think about six months rather than thinking about a snapshot in June or a snapshot in August. They're thinking about the entire six months and where they wind up. And we're a reactionary business. And as a fan, that's what you're supposed to do, especially in a town like St. Louis. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be reactionary. But the fast lane has a T-shirt that says, be patient. Sometimes what you need to do before you start, and we did this too. We've talked about what the Cardinals need to do during the offseason. So I'm not absolving us by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. But sometimes what you have to do is let the season play out and play six months before you start making judgments about what six months are going to look like. But Adam Wainwright talked about it after one of the games this weekend. He talked about the fans being um, at Bush Stadium and how loud it was and how into it the fans were and how much that means to the players, how much that environment fires the players up. But he, I'm paraphrasing here, I should have had the exact quote, but it just popped in my head, that they didn't play great baseball at a lot of times Mm -hmm. earlier in the year. And I think our reactions and the fans' reactions was appropriate to some of the baseball that we did see earlier in the year. And when the offense is stagnant, when the when you're dealing with a lot of injuries, when the pitching hasn't been what you expected it to be, how can you forecast what we have seen in September based on the entire body of work for the for the season? And that's why they are I don't know if they're smarter than we are, but they're more patient than we are yes, because absolutely. they witnessed 2006 and they remember it and they witnessed 2011 and they they see their group of players and they and Adam told us all year long that was the one constant when he was and is incessantly optimistic. He said, we got a lot of good players on this team. He does. Yeah, he did. And maybe that's what we should look at is rather than look at the warts and this is a great time, uh, but the, the great players are playing great now. You, you, some amazing things are happening with this team, and not only the great players, but you're getting unheralded 
contributions that great teams, championship quality teams get. Who would have thought that Abundo Sosa would wind up being the Cardinals starting shortstop and double a couple of times on September 19th to help fuel an 8-7 win over the Padres? How about Tyler O'Neill? Unbelievable. Who is as yeah. hot as anybody right now? And this is what John Mozeliak and the Cardinals front office wanted Tyler O'Neill mm-hmm. to be. This is the offensive threat that they, again, I'm going to use the word, forecasted him to be. But earlier in the season, when the Cardinals were scuffling a bit, I think a lot of us thought this might be the outfield of the future, but that it still might take a while to blossom. And we're seeing it now. This team looks really, really solid. And I hope that they can keep it rolling versus my or versus Milwaukee. The back end of the bullpen struggled a little bit, but Alex Reyes came on earlier than he normally does and got the win in his two innings of work. And it was between Reyes and Gallegos that they really had their issues. Mm-hmm. Luis Garcia had his first rough outing since his first outing with the Cardinals. But they got enough out of Hap and... They made the eight runs stand up. I I was kind of worried about it. I was definitely worried about it. I I was very much worried about it. But you know what's interesting? And I I was talking about this with my dad after the game. Even though I was worried, I still felt like the Cardinals would win the game, which is such a drastic turn of events Mm -hmm. as opposed to earlier in the season. Randy, we went to Canton and we landed and we grabbed dinner and we said, oh, we'll get back to the hotel room just in time to watch the end of the Cardinals game. And they had the lead at the time. And I said, we'll get back in time just to watch them lose. And that's that's exactly what happened is they ended up coughing up a lead and they lost the game. That was the uh, four straight walk scheme. Brutal. But watching this game yesterday, even even though it got close there, even though the Padres were certainly threatening there in the later innings, I watching the game felt like the Cardinals would find a way to win. And we didn't feel like that the entire season. No. But that's what happens when you go on an eight game win streak. You start to get a little confidence in your Redbirds. So as you wake up this morning, the Cardinals are 79 and 69. As Danny Mac told you, 10 games over 500. They are four ahead of the Reds, Phillies, and Padres on the law side in the National League. Cincinnati, 77 and 73. The Phillies are 76 and 73. Cardinals are 10 games over. Phillies are three games over. Padres are 76 and 73 also. So the Cardinals lead the Reds by three, Phillies and Padres by three and a half. And that runway, 14 games left now in the season, is getting shorter and shorter for those teams who don't have the advantage of playing the Cardinals and trying to catch up by beating them themselves. And they all have one issue or another. We, we saw it with the Padres this weekend with their, their pitching issues. We saw mm-hmm. Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado getting into it in the dugout. You can feel the frustration of the other teams that the Cardinals have played, the teams that are chasing them. And on the opposition, the Cardinals look like they're having the time of their lives. I've never seen a group of people have this much fun playing baseball. No, they're especially the guys like Arenado, who came here for this. Yes. You know, it's it's got to be pretty cool for him. It's got to be pretty cool for guys like Lester and Hap to be re-energized by pitching in a playoff race again. You mentioned Nolan Arenado. Anytime that they show him on the broadcast, he is smiling ear to ear. He is so intense. If he's in the dugout, he's hanging off the railing, cheering for his teammates. And you're right. This is what he wanted all along. The Cardinals and Nolan Arenado had been linked for a long time. He had always wanted to come here. And he wanted to come here for September and hopefully October baseball. So 
Hey, Nolan, I hope you like what this, yeah. this small taste of what you've, you've had. Hopefully we get it to October, too. Cards and Brewers tonight. Yesterday in the NFL, the Carriker and Smallman team is the Miami Dolphins. That's our NFL team. Yes. And uh, I, I was at the game, Michelle, so I didn't get a chance to see how things went. How, how bad did we beat Buffalo yesterday? Well, Let me go down really, the list here. I, you know, um, I did text you. I know you were at the game with Greg Amzinger, and yeah. you were enjoying a, a really exciting and dramatic Cardinals win. Um, I did yeah. text you during the game, though, to let you know that Tua got injured. Oh. Um, so I'm sure that Jacoby Brissett came on and just shredded the Bills. Michelle, I got... I'm, yeah, I didn't give you the final score. Is this backwards? Is, is, it says Bills defeat Dolphins 35-0? Yeah, was an absolute beatdown. Don't like it. And Tua with some bruised ribs, clearly in a lot of pain after not, a tough hit. Not great. Not great at all. The Patriots get their first win of the year over the Jets. Uh, Zach Wilson, not great. Saw a lot of uh, welcome yeah. to the NFL, Zach, yeah. headlines. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, while it wasn't a great day for Zach Wilson, at least Jets fans can lean on the fact that Sam Darnold had another huge day for the Panthers. <laughs> so at least the, their former guy, because I'm sure that they think of him the way we thought of Kurt Warner when he went to Arizona. I'm sure Jets fans are thrilled that Sam Darnold is succeeding in Carolina. Yeah, I'm sure they're super <laughs> pumped that the guy that they had drafted, what was he, number one or number two overall? Two overall number yeah. two overall, who... There was a lot of questions about when he was wearing the Jet uniform is now going to Carolina and looking like a guy that was worthy of being drafted number two overall. Yeah. Do you think that they look around and they're like, what is it? Why us? Yeah. Why like us? Are we cursed? What's yeah. going on? It's just, it, it doesn't matter who's in charge, who, who the quarterback is, who the offensive coordinator is, what the personnel is. It's just a hot mess. Same ownership. Same ownership. Hot mess. Yep. Broncos 2-0. They beat the Jaguars. Other 2-0 teams, the Niners over the Eagles, Rams over the Colts. Raiders go into Pittsburgh and win. They're now 2-0. Panthers are also 2-0 with their win over New Orleans. 26-7, by the way. Arizona Cardinals 2-0. Bucks 2-0 after beating the Falcons. And last night, the Ravens improved to 1-1. Knocked off the Chiefs 36-35 in a very exciting game. That was exciting, and I love uh, John Harbaugh at the end there asking Lamar if he wanted to go for it, putting the ball mm-hmm. in his quarterback's hands, and Lamar rewarding him for trusting him. And I, I really like the Ravens. I think they're a really interesting and fun team, and that was a huge win for them last they're night. They're a great organization. You don't lose a Pro Bowl cornerback and your top three running backs and your left tackle, who, and Ronnie Stanley out again last night, and various and sundry receivers, including your number one pick. <laughs> And you beat Kansas City. It's yeah. not. It's not like you were beating the Jags. You beat Kansas City on Sunday Night Football. Pretty impressive. And we don't talk enough about John Harbaugh being one of the best coaches in the league. No, he and Mike Tomlin are right up there at the top with yep. me. Obviously, Bill Belichick. But I feel like Mike Tomlin gets a lot of love because of whether it's Le'Veon Bell or Antonio Brown. Once people have left the Steelers, it, it was very much acknowledged about the drama or things that might have been happening behind the scenes that Mike Tomlin kind of kept under control. And John. Harbaugh has just been very consistently great. And congratulations to Mizzou with their big win over Southeast Missouri State 59-28 on Saturday on Friday night. Illinois, man, oh. they, they led the entire game until the last couple of minutes and fell to Maryland 20-17. to The end. <laughs> the end. That's your yeah. Illinois football analysis. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line. It's start one, bench one, cut one on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
Let's get those texts into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, Randy, Emily with you. And Michelle, I will get things started. Start one, bench one, cut one. Shortstop, Fernando Tatis Jr. Right fielder, Fernando Tatis Jr. And center fielder, Tatis Jr. Okay. I think I might go in that order. I'm certainly starting shortstop Fernando Tatis Mm -hmm. Jr. I think I'm going to bench right fielder Fernando Tatis Jr. I think I'll cut center fielder Fernando Tatis Jr. I think I'm going that direction too. That throw home, I felt bad for him because he's never played center field before and he's trying to make a play after making an error, after screwing up and... He, he he had an out at second base. He had an out twenty feet away, but he's just thinking, "Oh, I got to prevent a run." Right, and he couldn't couldn't prevent it. No, he couldn't. So, and then he's got Manny looking at, staring at him between every pitch. That wasn't very <laughs> nice of Manny. But Manny's like the the mentor. The right, he's the leader in that dugout, and he's got a. He checks him from time to time. I saw a yeah. lot of uh, videos and quotes after the scuffle of people in San Diego saying, no, this is what Manny Machado does, especially mm-hmm. to Fernando Tichis Jr. This is not uncommon. But still, if you're watching at home and you're seeing a team that was a World Series favorite heading into the season and they're falling and falling and falling behind in the standings and their two-star players are jawing at each other in the dugout, mm-hmm. it's not great. Not a great look. If Manny Machado is telling me, Fernando Tatis Jr., it's not all about me, I'm thinking, well, it kind of is. <laughs> I'm saying, have you not seen me on the cover of video games? <laughs> exactly. Did you not see that before Shohei Otani this past season? I was called the face of baseball. <laughs> right. Did you not see my pink suit at the all-star game yeah, there you Come go on. that ends the, the, the argument right there oh best dressed anyway all right randy uh let's do a little start one bench one cut one okay. quarterback edition Derek carr baker mayfield justin herbert oh this is really tough i know uh, it is let's see i think they're all kind of in the same tier yeah i am going to start herbert I'm Baker's a playoff quarterback. He's been there. So I am going to bench Baker and I am going to cut Carr, even though Carr has had a magnificent two weeks. Yes, he has. The Raiders 2-0. He is at the top or leading quarterbacks in a lot of stats mm-hmm. right now. He is. And I don't think he gets enough love, Derek Carr. No, he doesn't. He's He's been pretty good, but... He's he's not performed terribly. He's actually been pretty solid for the past two years. But it just seems like Gruden and the Raiders have never been all in on him or or maybe that's what they want to project to the rest of the league that they're not all in on him. Mm -hmm. But it always kind of felt like he was a placeholder until blank, whatever, whatever blank may be. But didn't it feel like that? Yeah. But he's been great. And um, seems like his teammates love him and that he's a great leader. So I don't think he gets enough love. And I think I'm going to go Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, Baker Mayfield. I was thinking about that. That was a tough choice for me. All right. Your tech 65780. Emily, what you got? From the 618, start one, bench one, cut one. As far as wild card competitors go, the Phillies, the Padres, the Reds. Okay. That's a good one. Uh, I, in, I'm doing this just in terms of quality of team like if we were going to play a play-in game 
the Cardinals against these teams. The team that I think is the best is the Reds. The team that I think is the second best is the Phillies. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to cut the Padres. Simply because of starting pitching. You started Jake Arrieta, for God's sakes. (laughs) In a a must-win game, you started Jake Arrieta. And the, That's your option. In, in a three-game series, a do-or-die series to make the playoffs, you started two pitchers that have been DFA'd in the last month. Oof. I think, yeah, I think I'm with you. I was debating whether I should go Reds or Phillies first, but I think if it came down to it and the Cardinals had to play one of these teams to get to the postseason, I would not want to see the Reds. Me either. Um, so I'm going to go Reds. I'm going to go Phillies, too. And Padres. So we're even exactly though, the same. Yeah, even though all of them have their own vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. If I'm the Cardinals, I'm not nervous about facing any one of these teams right, right now, really. I agree. From the 314 Start One, Bench One, Cut One, Intimidating Edition Yachty, Carp, Chris Carpenter, Bob Gibson. This might be the best one we have ever had. That is almost impossible. Because as soon as I say, well, Bob Gibson is obviously the one you start, I think Yachty, neck tats, no one wants to go against Yachty. And then I think about Chris Carpenter, that primal scream of his and how nobody wants to mess with Carp. Mm -hmm. This is really tough. But I. Yeah, it is. Okay. You have yours? Because I I can make an argument for any of them. I don't know these guys. And I'm seeing them on the street, okay? I'm also afraid to cut any of them. Yeah, I'm, really. I'm too afraid to cut any of them. Uh, Chris Carpenter is 6'6 six, six and 240. He's huge. And has a lot more ink than Yachty does. So, like, if you see Carp with a sleeveless shirt on, you're, he's intimidating. Right. Uh, I'm taking Carp. I'm going to start Carp. I am going to bench in this scenario. Bob Gibson, because I have been glared at by Bob Gibson before. And it's not a feeling that gives you all the warm fuzzies. It kind of makes you pee in your pants a little bit. I was going to say, were you okay afterwards? No, I was not. Did you have to excuse yourself? I did. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, this is a a crazy cut, but I'm cutting Yachty. So I understand your thought process of if I'm on the street and I bump into Chris Carpenter, size alone is going to indicate that I can't win this battle. he's not happy with you. He's trying to intimidate you. You know, I was at the game for the 2011 reunion on Saturday, and all of the guys are getting off the trucks. When Chris Carpenter gets off that truck and walks next to all of his teammates, all of his professional athlete teammates, he is so much bigger than them. He is just not someone you want to mess with. Brad, Brad Thompson literally, literally did not talk to Chris Carpenter for two years after he got to the major leagues. Because he was so intense? Yeah, and he, Brad was so intimidated. And wow. Carp tells a story about one time in spring training, Brad is holding court and he just kind of leans in and said, I didn't know this guy could talk, let alone be funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, I understand your thought process on Chris Carpenter, right? But what if it's fall? What if he's wearing a long sleeve and pants? You might not know that he's tatted. The size is there, yes, but, you know, the tats indicate that he's tough. With Yachty, it doesn't matter what season it is. You're going to see those neck tats. Unless he's wearing a turtleneck. And he could pull it off. He really could. Yeah. We know he's a stylish guy. Gosh, this is tough. So here's here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start Bob Gibson because his he was legendarily intimidating. 
legendary. Yeah. I am going to bench Yadier Molina and I'm going to cut Chris Carpenter. All right. And I don't your fe- peril. I don't feel good about it. I don't feel good about it. But I'm thinking maybe right now we've interviewed Chris Carpenter. He's in his post-playing career. Well, I mean, you know, RIP to Bob Gibson. But I'm just thinking maybe he's come down just a little. Oh, he's totally mellowed. Yeah. But, but Bob Gibson mellowed, too. There's always that switch, though. With all three of these guys, yeah. that switch, it might not be on yeah. all the time, but it's still there, and it can get flipped. Chris Carpenter, when he was playing, would go out and skate with the Blues and be as tall as Chris Pronger was on <laughs> skates. So let's say he's like seven foot tall on skates. And then he would whack guys like Pronger did, too, in practice. Amazing. He'd whack guys on the ankles. <laughs> Unreal. All right, let's get it one more, Emily. From the 314 start one, bench one, cut one, Phil Cuzzy, Joe West, Angel Hernandez. Okay, oh. recency bias here, right? Can we cut Absolutely. everyone? Absolutely. Who is our third one? Angel Hernandez. Okay, I'm glad we got Angel in there. That's important. Uh, recency bias, Phil Cuzzy was horrible. Horrible. Was it Saturday night? It was horrible. So I'm cutting him. I'm I'm going to start Joe West, who by all accounts is an okay umpire. How can I? No, I I got I can't, I can't have this list no, and so not I'm, cut Angel that's Hernandez. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So uh, I'm sorry. I got a bench because he. Yeah. That's that. Okay. I I just had to look down my list and oh, there was only three, but I get to Angel Hernandez and say oh, I'm not cutting him. I'm cutting Angel. You, Hernandez. You've got to cut Angel Hernandez. So what are you? Are you starting? Or are you benching I am Joe West? Starting Joe West. Yeah. That's I think what I would Bill. do too. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. You've got to cut Angel Hernandez. Yeah. He's the worst. The worst. All right. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. Coming up next, Jason Tatum had his St. Louis basketball camp this weekend at Chaminade. He will join us to talk about that and what's going on in his life next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Back to Carriker and Smallman, 101 ESPN, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, and one of our favorite St. Louisans, superstar Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics, joins us on Carriker and Smallman. Jason, good morning. Good to have you with us. How you doing? Good morning. I'm, I'm good. Thanks for having me. We're excited to have you with us, and always excited to have you do this camp in St. Louis, and, and you ride with St. Louis so much. Tell us about the camp and why you want to help out St. Louis kids so much. I think just um, coming back and, and showing my availability, showing my face, um, I know how much, you know, that meant to me when I was a kid, seeing someone, you know, that I looked up to and just showing them that, you know, hey, I'm I'm from the, the area, I'm from the same place and, um, you know, living out my dream. So coming back and you know, just trying to be a positive role model and, and interact and, just kind of not forget where I came from. Um, it's always been big. And you try so hard defensively, and, and you mentioned you grew up in St. Louis with people helping you out. Who influenced you and your game, and especially that defensive effort that you display? I think, um, you know, the, the person that I really looked up to in St. Louis was uh, Bradley Bill. Um, you know, being from the same neighborhood and um, – you know, attending the same school at the same time when I was in middle school, just someone that was um, living out, you know, kind of the dream that I, I wanted for myself. And just having a blueprint 
of, you know, kind of the hard work and everything that it took to get where he is. Um, and I understood at a young age that, you know, that's what I wanted to do. Jason, you and Bradley played together during the All-Star game. It was a shame that you couldn't play together during the Olympics. But how often do you guys talk about playing together at some point in your career? Because here in St. Louis, we cheer for the Wizards, we cheer for the Celtics. It would be great for us to cheer for one team and get to rep St. Louis. Yeah, um, I mean, that would be a dream come true. Um, you know, playing in the All-Star game was our first time ever, you know, playing on the same team. And, you know, hopefully we wish we would have been able to win the gold medal together. But, you know, I would I would love to one day, you know, be able to play on the same team as him and, you know, compete for a championship. Do you guys ever talk about what it would be like to have an NBA team here in St. Louis? Yeah, uh, I would I would love it. Uh, you know, I joke that, you know, I love being with the Celtics, but if somehow St. Louis got an NBA team, I might have to ask for a trade. Hey, Jason, Jason Tatum with us on 101 ESPN. Without an NBA team in St. Louis, we turn out a lot of great talent. Obviously, yourself and Bradley, but there's a lot of St. Louis representation in the NBA. How impressed are you with, when you go to these camps, the number of kids that are really talented players? Um, I, I'm really impressed, but I think it's something I've always known. And I think with St. Louis as being such a small market and a small town that we don't necessarily get all the the recognition we deserve with you know how much talent that we produce out of this area you know every year um how many kids from the area go to college and play division one um and you know that's why i try to you know speak on st louis as much as i can and as often as i can uh because you know we're not the biggest city and don't always get the attention like other you know cities yeah, Jason, you are the definition of hardly home, but always repping. No matter what you do, whether it's a commercial or tweeting about the Olympics, you're always talking about St. Louis, and we, we recognize it and appreciate it. Oh, of course, I can never forget where I came from. Well, Jason, I wanted to ask you about those IG pictures this offseason that everybody's talking about. It looks like you've bulked up a bit. So what did you alter about your offseason training program? Um, I think I just had a little more downtime after the Olympics. Uh, you know, just kind of focus on weight training and focusing on my body. Uh, I think at the same time as I'm lifting, I think I'm just, my body's just maturing. I'm getting a little bit older um, and, you know, my body's starting to fill out. So I think that, that plays a part uh, in it as well. How do you think adding that strength to your frame is going to impact your game? Um, you know, weight training, uh I think as a, a reflection on, you know, injury prevention, you know, I think that's what we focus on. You know, uh, we play so many games, we practice so much that keeping your body right and in shape and, you know, um, and help, you know, stay away from injuries as much as possible. And uh, playing through contact and, um, you know, on the defensive end, you know, it's, it's not just all about, you know, the skills. Um, you just have to be a complete player and you know, always you know, try to maintain you know, the right habits and keep your body as in the best shape as you can because um, the season is long. Jason Tatum with us on 101 ESPN. Jason, did your Olympic experience help you see where the bar is for where you want to be among the best players in the NBA, playing with uh, the, the KDs of the world and the, 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 the Draymond Greens? Did, did being on a practice floor with them benefit you? Yeah, for sure. I think 
you can only benefit, um, you know, every day in and day out playing with, playing against them, those guys in practice in the middle of the summer. Um, I think that can only, you know, benefit you and your game, and especially coming into the next season. It's a lot that I could take from, you know, like you said, competing against KD every day um, in practice, you know, and take that um, into the season this year. Jason, you've had a lot of big moments in your career. You've played in all-star games. You've had big playoff moments. But what is it like to put a gold medal around your neck? What does that feel like? Uh, it's a dream come true. It's something that uh, I've always dreamed about, playing in the Olympics, putting the USA across my chest. Uh, and, you know, the, the moment was surreal. And something I always remember, um, that experience, and just that feeling of, you know, putting in the, the hard work and sacrificing your summer, sacrificing time away from your family um, for it all to be worth it, you know, when you get that gold medal around your neck. And it's, it's a group of stars, and everybody has to sacrifice their game a little bit too. What's it like when you get on a floor? And once you guys got rolling, I didn't, I, I didn't even consider the possibility that you could lose a game. What's it like to be on an insto- unstoppable team? It's, it's great. It's great playing with other great players. Uh, I think it makes the game easier. It makes it more fun. Uh, and you just you get to enjoy it. Um, you know, just seeing everybody that you compete against all the time and now you're on one team and you really get to appreciate their game and their talents and you know, all the work that they put in. Earlier, Jason, you said that you had a little bit of downtime after the Olympics, which is why you dedicated yourself to the weight room. But I'm looking at your offseason, and I'm thinking you had a shorter offseason than normal. You played in the Olympics. It doesn't seem like you've had downtime at all. And I know you love the grind. You're a Mamba mentality guy. But it seems like you never really took any time off this offseason. Yeah, I didn't take any time off. Uh, you know, But I got to stay uh, remote in one location for five five or six weeks and I guess in my mind that's some downtime when I'm not having to travel but um, it doesn't seem like you know hard work or something when you, when you just love what you do and um, it's, it's all you know um, and that's how I've always approached it um, you know just a game of basketball and just always trying to get better Jason, one of my favorite things that you've done is wear the Lou Brock shoes after the passing of the Cardinal legend. He was done playing by the time you were born. What prompted you to get those shoes made and wear those in a game? Uh, I think in the beginning of the season, uh, I had designed a 20 or 25, you know, pairs of shoes. And uh, one of them was dedicated to you know, to the Cardinals and their throwback uniforms. And they were actually called, you know, the Ivy Smiths. Um, but, you know, I ended up writing, you know, Lou Brock winter shoes. I think we were in the playoffs when, when it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, not knowing everything about him or, you know, getting to watch him play, but knowing what he meant to, you know, the, the city of St. Louis and the organization um, of the Cardinals. And, you know, that just had an impact on, you know, where I grew up. So just always, you know, wanting to pay my respects to him. When you pay your respects to the St. Louis teams, whether it's the Cardinals or the Blues, do you ever take any grief in Boston, whether it's on social media or from people uh, around the, the, the court? Do, does anybody in Boston ever say, hey, come on, you're a Celtic now? Yeah, they weren't too happy when, you know, I was posting about the Blues when we beat the Bruins in the NHL, Stanley Cup. <laughs> uh, and I always wear my St. Louis hat, Cardinals hat around the town or into even in the games um but 
Uh, I don't know. I just it's, it's where I'm from, and you know I hope people would understand that. You know I, I root for the Red Sox and the Patriots and the Bruins. You know when they're not playing the St. Louis team, but uh, you know I'm always gonna work where I'm from first and foremost. Well, Jason, they better get used to it because the Cardinals, they're primed for another postseason run. So it looks like you're going to be wearing that St. Louis Cardinals hat a lot more in the coming weeks. I can't wait. (laughs) A couple more quick things for Jason Tatum. First of all, uh, how cool is it for you to be so involved with the NBA video game, the NBA 2K22 spots that you're in? That's got to be another childhood dream come true, right? Yeah, it's something that, you know, I grew up playing a video game and, um, you know, every kid, always envision yourself in the video game one day. Um, and it's a dream come true when it happens. And then now to be, you know, one of the featured athletes and, you know, people that they're surrounding their, you know, TV spots around. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm living out my dream every day. Uh, I really am. And Jason, uh, you, in one of the spots, you reference your hair and your hair is always pristine. And I'm aware of the fact that you have a local barber, right? I, I want you to give your barber a shout out because your hair is always perfect. Yeah, um, especially since I've grown my hair out. Um, yeah, my barber, Jules, he's been cutting my hair, I think, seventh and seventh, eighth grade. Uh, you know, that's something I always you know, take pride in, is, you know, make sure I look nice before I go out on the court. Look great and play great. Hey, what you do for St. Louis is amazing. We're so thrilled that you had the camp here in St. Louis, Jason. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks for partnering with 101 ESPN. And we'll be rooting for you and the Celtics during this uh, 21-22 season. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Jason Tatum with us on 101 ESPN. One of the biggest stars to ever come out of St. Louis. Yeah, and uh, hopefully with a new coach and some changes on their roster, the Celtics will come out of the East this year. And hopefully at some point we see he and Bradley Beal playing together. For the St. Louis rhythm? I would love that. Yeah. As Jason said, he may have to ask for a trade if there's a team in St. Louis. That would be great. So you'd in the Enterprise Center, you'd have the St. Louis rhythm and the St. Louis blues, so you'd have rhythm and blues. And then we'd need to call we'd need to give it a nickname like the club, like the jazz club, something yeah. like that. That'd be good. That you you've thought of it already. <laughs> good. Coming up next, take it or leave it. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> 65780 is our Air Comfort Service text line. Randy, Michelle, and Emily with you. And Michelle. Bill's Mafia has a fun time at their tailgates, and they've got these tailgate tables. They're called lifetime tables mm-hmm. that they have a tradition of throwing people on top of and cracking said table in the middle. Right. Yesterday, they were in Miami and had a little twist. They put lighter fluid and then lit lighter fluid on top of the table and then threw a guy on top of the, the burning table, and he obviously was drunk, stayed on for a second or so, and then jumped off. Take it or leave it, you could get drunk enough to be thrown on one of these lifetime tables while it was burning. Oof, I'm going to leave that because even if I got drunk enough, I don't think I could be talked into doing something that stupid, quite that stupid. It's fire. Yeah, it's really unbelievable. And I'm assuming he has a Bills jersey on. 
He's got the, the Bills colors going. But not the jersey? Because that jersey material feels like it could be pretty flammable. Let me double check here just to make sure. Uh, it's He's surrounded by Bills fans, and it looks like, no, he does not have a Bills jersey on. Okay. He's wearing a black shirt. Yeah, I'm going to leave that. I could be talked into doing some pretty dumb things uh, by tequila, but not <laughs> jump into a table with fire on it yeah. because I want attention or because I want likes on the internet. No, thanks. Well, I, I'd be more likely to just go try to find some pizza. Yeah, that's the thing to do. Yeah, find some or pizza. yell at the game. Right. But this is a bunch of people getting together saying, I'm going to film it, dude. It'll go viral. Well, and then here we are talking about Bill's it. Bill's Mafia has been always crazy, stupid, drunk. Correct, but when you're drunk, you don't just do that for the 20 people around in the tailgate that are going to watch. You do it now because it's being filmed on a phone and <laughs> uploaded to the internet, and you want to go viral. You want to be the person that we're talking well, about this morning. He did. Which, He's on TMZ. Do you think, take, okay, I'm going to just switch my take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. When he wakes up with a raging hangover tomorrow, he's not pumped that he is the guy in the video that was so drunk that he jumped into a fire laden table. Yeah, I'll take that. He's going to look at his arms and his back and he's going to say, what the hell did I do, man? Or when his co-workers see it, maybe his boss sees it, his parents mm-hmm. sees it. I don't know if he has a significant other, but I'm sure they're not super pumped that he's the Bill's Mafia fire table guy. No. No. It's unbelievable. In the moment, it seems like a great idea. The next day, not so much. I and I'm sure really regret this decision. I, I mean, think yeah, what, I'm what sure you feel the flames. Yeah. No. <laughs> and everybody that you know that watched you do that Unless this is not outside your character, maybe this guy does stuff like this all the time. Who knows? Maybe he's your then really, really sloppy bad. friend, Billy, that always likes to cause a scene. I don't know. <laughs> but if, Billy, it's, no. if it's like outside your character a little bit, everyone's going to say, remember, that video doesn't go away, dude. It's on TMZ. <laughs> it lives forever. And I'll retweet it. Okay. Follow Randy at, what are you on Twitter, RJ Character? Uh, it's the old uh, Randy Character. Randy Character. Oh, RJ Character Character is Instagram. Yes. All right, Emily, what do you got for us? From the 314, take it or leave it, the, quote, questionable Cardinals outfield overachieved way past your expectations. I will take that, but I also will go back to opening day when we had John Mosellock on the show and Michelle asked about the outfield, and he said, I think this outfield can make an impact. Tyler O'Neill's going to wind up hitting 30 home runs. Bader deserves a gold glove. I don't know if he'll get it. He's been okay, not great offensively. And Dylan Carlson has had a very representative rookie year, and he's moved past the wall, it seems, and is really performing well in September. I'm going to leave it because I, too, am going to the beginning of the season, to opening day, or what we expected of them before. I think we feel like they exceeded expectations because of the lull that we had earlier in the season, especially in June when we didn't see them performing that great. Well, the whole team as a collective was not performing well. But to your point, I think heading into the season, we thought this might be a year that Dylan Carlson takes another step forward. Harrison Bader was going to be a lockdown defensive guy, and you hope that the offense would come around a little bit. And Tyler O'Neill was supposed to be the offensive force to give you that pop and that's what we're seeing out of these guys and maybe part of the problem in june was that bader wasn't there and that's right they had O'Neal Carlson, dealt with injuries too right carlson's playing center field he's not as good in center field as he is on the corners and you're having to you didn't have newt bar up yet so you're going with the likes of edmund and Wright, or pl- trying to get justin williams to get going or lane thomas at that time so it's a different team too 
Take it or leave it. Again, we owe John Mozeliak a bit of an apology for calling out all of the other Cardinals outfielders that he's dealt, saying that maybe that wasn't the right decision. I'll leave it. I would like to have Adolis Garcia's 30 home runs, I think. Okay. <laughs> I, w- I would take that. But we gave him a really hard time yeah. for moving past right. a lot of prospects to keep well, these three guys, and it seems like these three guys are panning out. And he can really make us eat our words next year if Libertor winds up being great. That's right. From the 314, take it or leave it, extending Tyler O'Neill should be more of a priority for the Cardinals than extending Jack Flaherty. Oh, I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave that, too, because you just don't find number one, number one starters. And yes, he's been injured this year, but... If they have the wherewithal and Jack Flaherty would accept an extension here, they got to do that. What if Jack Flaherty was healthy this season? Where would the Cardinals be? Yeah, they'd be battling with Milwaukee. And oh, by the way, we're talking about a Rosarena and Garcia getting away. Who's the Jack Flaherty quality player that the Cardinals or anybody else has let get away? It, yeah, that, that doesn't happen with starting pitchers. No, I was just trying to think off the top of my head. And no, um, maybe it's Libertor. Yeah, maybe he, he ends up being that guy. But if, if next season is Adam Wainwright's last, who is who is your guy? Who is the ace? Right. It needs to be Jack Flaherty. Yep. All right. We'll get to one more real okay. quick from the three one four. Take it or leave it. The emergence of Sosa will make the Cardinals go after starting pitching now. We had this debate. This was an ongoing debate yesterday between Greg and I at the game Uh because Greg would still, he wants Carlos Correa. Oh, interesting. And I'm saying, no, you go after a starting pitcher. I would go after, not that I am 100% sold on Sosa, kind of unfair to him, but I was sold on Diaz and I was sold on it on DeYoung. So I'm not sold on Sosa yet. I'd love to get both a starting pitcher and a shortstop, but because of Sosa, I would prefer that the Cardinals go after a starting pitcher. By the way, there's only one starting pitcher that I want. Is it Max Scherzer? Yes. And if they can't get him, then go after a shortstop. But I think that they're more likely to say we have someone that we can rely on or that Mm -hmm. we'd like to roll the dice on. So let's move those resources towards pitching. So I think that that might be something that they consider. I would love to talk to Mo about that at the end of the season. Yeah, how they how they view Sosa. And by the way, we're getting a lot of texts to the Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero that Sandy Alcantara is the one that got away. Okay, I I I will buy that. I I don't know that Alcantara. He's really really good. So yeah, I, I guess so. But the Cardinals, that wasn't like you gave him away for cash like they did with Garcia or you got another minor leaguer. They got a guy that had hit, what, 324 with 37 bombs the year before. They they knew that Alcantara had this ability. I don't know that they saw him as a number one starter, but they knew that they, they were worried about him becoming really good. But at least they got what they thought was a, a big-time slugger back in return. And that's what you have to give up. When you're giving up a guy that has won a silver slugger and a gold glove the year mm-hmm. before, you have to give up big-time prospects. Still can't believe he won a gold glove. I can't either. <laughs> it must have been a magical year in, in Miami. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, how about those Redbirds? How are you feeling about the Redbirds this morning? Give us a text and we'll have more for you about their sweep of the Padres 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Man, Cardinals are always the Cardinals, you know? You can never underestimate the Cardinals. 1-1. And Carlson sends a fly ball out 
Danny Mac, the soundtrack of your weekend on Valley Sports Midwest. It's Carriker and Smallman. It's 8.09. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And the Cardinals, in addition to winning eight in a row, have won 10 of 11. And they have a three and a half game lead over the rest of the pack for the wild card in the National League. And the teams that are behind the Cardinals now in the wild card, Michelle, really need to pick things up. We talk about the Cardinals needing to succeed against Milwaukee, but the Reds, Phillies, and Padres, and by the Pod- Padres are done. They're, the rest of their games are against the Dodgers and Giants, so, so they're they're done. For sure. The, the Phillies have a schedule coming up with four at home against Baltimore, three against Pittsburgh, so the Phillies should in theory, go 6-1. and one. And the Cardinals just need to take care of uh, their own business and they'll be fine. Uh, Mike Schilt, the Cardinal manager, how have the club, how has this club been so successful recently? No, that's a group that's been all in. I mean, you're seeing a group that's, you know, again, both sides of the ball, offense, um, pitching, working in concert. Um, it's a group that's always been together this year, but it's really um, just playing the game, playing it aggressively, playing it smart, hungry for more, not satisfied, and just... Um, just getting after it. We had complained a lot about not feeling a sense of urgency from this Cardinals team, and boy, have they turned that on. You certainly feel that. Winning helps that as well, but a lot of times this season, Randy, the pitching would be there, but the offense was stagnant. The offense would get going, and then the pitching wasn't there. Then you would have bullpen issues. It just felt like all facets of this team were never firing on all cylinders, and now it seems like everything's starting to really click at once. But even though this is unbelievable, what we've seen out of the Cardinals, and do you remember Adam Wainwright a few weeks ago, you asked him what do the Cardinals need to do to really solidify themselves as a playoff team, and he goes, we need to pull pull off a, a winning streak. He mm-hmm. goes, six or more 
wins. That's what we need to do. So Adam Wainwright called it. Seems like he's called almost everything this season when he's told us about believing in this team and knowing that the talent was there and that it can all come together. But even though what we've seen out of the Cardinals is so encouraging and it's so exciting, I still do have some questions heading into this final stretch and hopefully heading into the postseason. One of them being, is what we're seeing out of Tyler O'Neill real? Like, is, is this something that's sustainable out of him? Because I think if the Cardinals are going to really make some noise down the stretch and into the postseason, you're, you're going to need to have this from Tyler O'Neill. He has a quick bat and he's cut way down on his strikeout rate. His selectivity is much better than it was and yeah I think it is real I think what we're seeing from him I don't I guess there are guys that can hit 30 home runs and have it be a fluke I don't think that these 30 home runs are going to be a fluke for Tyler O'Neill. well he's hot right now but we thought that about Paul DeYoung right we thought right. that at some point he whether it was the injuries that he dealt with or uh, the COVID situation with the team last year we thought well he hit 30 home runs at one point we're going to see that come back and we haven't necessarily seen that from Paul DeYoung yet so I do wonder about Tyler O'Neill, and I also wonder about the quality of the opponents that the Cardinals are facing because Yes, it, you have to do a lot of things right to win eight in a row, but you're also playing, and you're playing teams that are in, in contention for the playoffs. It's not as if we're, they're playing the Pirates eight straight times, but the Reds, the Mets, and the Padres are vulnerable teams. They are scuffling a little bit. They do have vulnerabilities that the Cardinals were able to maximize. So this series versus Milwaukee, this four-game set, I think is going to be a really good indicator of how good the Cardinals are. Can you beat teams that are better than you? And they did split with the Dodgers. Let's not overlook, overlook mm-hmm. that. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing how the Cardinals play the, play the Brewers in this series. And before you won these 10 of 11, you had lost four in a row, two to Milwaukee and two to, to the Dodgers. And one part of that, Michelle, was Gallegos wasn't the closer. The, that was the last game for Alex Reyes mm-hmm. as the closer, the last game against Milwaukee with the, the grand slam by their pinch hitter from uh, has been with Seattle and the Cubs. I don't remember the guy's name. I don't even care about the guy's name right now. (laughs) But he did hit a grand slam. Uh, Maybe I've just repressed it. Maybe that's the deal. But anyway, the Cardinals have changed closers since then, and things have come together. But to your point, the Cardinals are going to have to do well against good pitching. Now, are they going to score six runs against good pitching? No, but they need to score three. And Not only Adam, but Lester and Hap and Michaelis are going to have to step up big. Tonight, you've got Woodford on the mound, by the way, and he's going to have to give you four good innings. Oh, for sure. But even looking at the scores, though, the the Cardinals offense was a... What's a polite way to put it? Uh, Invisible for a little bit (laughs) this season. But these past few games, eight runs, three runs, eight runs, 11, seven, seven, two, six. I don't know if they've been studying more, Randy, these boys, but it seems like the high-level curriculum has finally set in. Busy days at Mobile on the Run. (laughs) That's right. A lot of busy days. That's right. Uh, But even going before that, the games versus the Dodgers, you had five runs in losses to Milwaukee. They put up five runs. It it does seem like things have finally clicked from an offensive standpoint. And I don't know what is happening behind the scenes, but love to talk to somebody about that, whether maybe the Cardinals adjusted their approach a little bit and told the guys to rely more on their instincts. Maybe what they were preaching just took some time to develop and we're finally seeing uh, the benefits of that. But either way, the offense really does feel like it's come alive. Tyler O'Neill in the three hole, three impact bats in a row. Yes. That's what you had with the MV3. That's what you had when you won in 06. By the way, 
uh, no lack of respect for Daniel Vogelbach. So oh, sorry, so, sorry, Dan. Our bad Dan. Yeah. So, but we remember, we remember you now, and most importantly, Alex Reyes remembers your name. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he'll never forget it. (laughs) That is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Blues starting training camp this week. A first preseason game this week. Chris Kerber will join us to talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber, the voice of your St. Louis Blues here on 101 ESPN, joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And this is one of Kerb's favorite times of year. Training camp underway for the Blues. And then the first preseason game is Saturday night at, at Enterprise Center. Kerbs, good morning. How you doing? Randy, I'm doing good. You throw in there meaningful baseball games on the Cardinal front. You're right. It is one of my favorite times of the year. I want to start with this. Scott Perunovich with a three-point game Saturday at the Blues Prospect Camp. They took that team up to Traverse City, and they beat the Red Wings. And we've seen in the past Colton Pareko made a big impact with the Prospect Camp. I have to believe that the Blues loved what they saw from Perunovich. Yeah, you know what? Considering that he missed all of last season because of those shoulder injuries, he was uh, probably the most important player to be watching in, in, in this prospect camp. And by the way, they play again today at 11, and, and fans can watch it. The Blues have been streaming these games on their YouTube channel. Um, and, and I think they play Dallas today. But uh, Perunovic had that good game. He showed how he can move the puck. He showed how he can control things on the power play. It's clear by them giving him the, the, the C for this uh, tournament of what, what the Blues think of him and and, and it's not a surprise. The guy was a Hobie Baker Award winner. And, and, you know, when you decide you want to, you could turn pro, but go back to college to try and win a third straight national title, that tells you something about the character of somebody and how bad you want to win. So um, I, I think so far he's had a, a terrific camp from what, from what uh, I'm told when I check in with people up there. Jake Neighbors has had a good one. The goaltenders as well. And Tyler Tucker is another name uh, that I think is impressed up in camp this year uh, so far. So, it's an opportunity, Randy, for them to play some games, get up to a little bit more game speed, and then on Wednesday when camp starts here in town, they're even that much more ahead, and it gives them a little bit of a leg up to show some stuff if they can continue to bring that intensity when camp starts. Curbs, I wanted to ask you about some news that we got over the weekend from the Blues. They announced that they're going to require fans to show proof of full COVID-19 vaccination or a recent COVID-19 negative test before entering Enterprise Center. In one of the interviews we did with you a couple weeks ago, we talked about the NHL informing the league of the different health and safety protocols this season, which have severe restrictions on unvaccinated players. But do you think that the step the, the Blues took as far as fans and people getting in close contact with the players being vaccinated is something that we're going to see league-wide? Um, well, we're seeing it, I believe, in 13 to 15. I don't remember the exact count of the buildings already, including the United Center in Chicago, Bridgestone down in Nashville, right? And, and you're frankly, you're seeing it in a lot of the arena-style buildings in, in a lot of different cities, whether it be you know from the NBA or the NHL. And the biggest difference, I think, because of you know versus some NFL stadiums and things like that, one of the biggest differences is that indoor versus outdoor thing. So. Um, I, look, I, I know it, it, th- there's a lot of different tentacles to this one, and I know some people are really upset. Some people are really happy. You know, it, th- there appears to never be any kind of middle ground when it comes to, to COVID and, and a certain level of sanity. And, you know, you, you see some real stupid things put out there. But 
Um, I, I think you just got to try to do your best and what you can to, to keep people as safe as you can until you're able to kind of get away from all this stuff. And then I think it's what's important to realize is when you've gone, when you as a business have gone uh, for 18 months, right, where you've been told you can only bring 300 people into the building, and then that gets bumped up to 1,500, right? And, and you're, you're still just trying to figure out how to make ends meet and make things work, you know, to keep people employed, to keep uh, the product on the ice, to keep things going. It, it's a tough situation. I think the Blues are doing the best they can, and, and uh, I think, you know, fr- frankly, I think most Blues fans are respectful enough they're going to understand it. They'll deal with it. And then hopefully this thing blows over and we can, you know, really get everybody moving forward in the right direction before too long. So it's already going uh, at least halfway through the league. Uh, and, and I would expect more buildings to actually uh, take the same stance. And we, Curbs, we should reiterate, if people choose to not get the vaccine, they don't have to. All they have to do if, they're, if they have tickets to a Blues game is show proof of a negative test, right? And if, nobody wants to have, I wouldn't think anybody would want to have a COVID positive person sitting next to them in the building. So if everybody is showing a negative text or a test or being vaccinated, then we're, we're cool, right? No, nobody's saying that you have to be vaccinated to come watch a hockey game. They're just saying if you if you if you've made the choice to not get vaccinated, which is your choice, if you made that choice, okay, then the result of that choice is to go to certain places, certain events. We, we've seen it already with Harry Styles, right? And that's not a that's that's not a St. Louis Blues organizational thing. These different show people have come in. You know, we saw it with Maroon Five, Maroon Five, even outdoors at at Verizon uh, or Hollywood. You know, everybody had to show proof or, or a negative test. I mean, it's it, it, it's one of those things that you can go. You just got to get the negative test. And, and and by the way, every choice we make in life, I'm, I'm going a little off the off the reservation here on this one. But every choice, every choice in life that we make leads to other situations. Right. And so you're perfectly fine if you don't get vaccinated. Uh, you just have to go to the games and to go to some other events and to go to certain places. You got to show proof, uh, you know, th- that you're negative. Why? Because being vax- unvaccinated, you are more likely to actually carry it. So I, I get it. I understand both sides. I understand the fire. I'm frankly kind of tired of a lot of it, as everybody is, you know. But but that is the reality. So um, it's where we're at. Uh, it, it's it's okay. The, the good news is, from a player standpoint, Michelle, following up on what we talked about last week. Bill, Bill Daly, the, the deputy commissioner of the National Hockey League, came out. And the league itself, the players themselves, it's like 99% are vaccinated. I think it's only something like 15 players. And there may be some with medical reasons, you know, why they can't. But the good news is, is it looks like with the policies that the league and the protocols that the league has put into place to keep players safe and, and to keep this going, it looks like we could have a really good, strong uninterrupted season and for the first time in two years that would be really a a welcome thing yeah but more than 99 percent vaccinated in the league meanwhile curbs you've been around athletes long enough michelle has i have to know that they're pretty pliable and they're able to roll with the punches we talked a lot about vladimir tarasenko rejoining this team i would have to believe that once he walks in that room that any controversy, and I know it'll be a distraction at least at the outset, but I, w- I would be really surprised if the players would allow it to be a controversy that affected them. 
Yeah, you know what? Uh, there might have to be an internal discussion or two just to make sure that the guys are on the same page. And, and I believe that if that hasn't happened already, uh, that that will happen. And and then you move forward. And look, the, these guys know that what they're doing is also the job, right? So you just go in and, and you do it. And as Doug Armstrong said over the weekend, look, if he plays well, maybe he decides he, he wants to stay. Maybe he makes it easier to, to, to move him. He understands where Vladimir's coming from. He respects that. But there just hasn't been a deal available, you know, to, to make it work well for both ends. So, um, yeah, they'll address it and, and, and they'll move forward with it. And that's the professionalism of the coach, of the players, and, every, and everybody involved. And, and I, do think, I do think at some point in time, uh, Vladimir Tarasenko, uh, if he opens up, I mean, now he does, I guess he doesn't have to in this sense, but at some point in time, I would think he probably sits in front of the media, makes a statement, answers a couple questions maybe, and then say, that'll be the last time I speak of this, mm-hmm. right? And and then, you know, the only real distraction comes is if, if people continue to ask the players and him about it. But if that's the stance of the team, of Craig Berube, of the players, of Doug Armstrong, you know, and, and, and that's it, then it'll people will stop asking pretty quickly and, and you move forward with it. So probably a little drama yet to be played out on that front, but I, I, I still think it's going to end up in a pretty good place. I'm with you. I would have the, the media scrum and just rip the Band-Aid off, answer the questions, and then be done with it. Because you're right, if he doesn't, it's just going to keep getting asked and asked and asked, and whether it's the front office or the players, whoever the media interviews, they're going to ask about Vladdy. Um, but, Curbs, I did want to ask you about Charo. So a lot of people in town were intrigued by the idea of Zidane Charo joining the Blues. Uh, I know that there was some interest there on the Blues part, but that he likely wanted to stay on the East Coast to stay close to his family. And he ended up doing that. He signed a one-year contract with the Islanders. It's a full full circle thing for him because that's the organization that drafted him in 96. But what was your reaction when you heard that Chara was off the board for the blues? Yeah, well, not at all surprised. I, I, I was intrigued when you first heard that it might be a possibility, but well, once you heard that he would prefer to stay on the East coast, um, I pretty much put it off to the side. Didn't think that him coming here would actually be a reality. I've told you guys the story when he was first drafted and played for the Lowell lock monsters, just him walking past me, you know, and just seeing this mammoth human of the day, like the ice just crunched underneath his skates as he as he walked up the Zamboni entrance and onto the ice. You're like, what in the hell was that? Like, no, that's a hockey player. Um, he was just he was huge then. But um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised. And, and the other side of that too, Michelle, is if you look at it, the Blues were able to get Tyler Bozak under contract on, on a deal because he's 35 that has bonuses involved. Obviously, they still need to get uh, you know Robert Thomas done, and, and hopefully something comes. You know, so obviously sometimes this week with camp opening opening in there, uh, Doug Armstrong's comments to Jim Thomas about Oscar Sundquist not likely being ready to go at the start of the season is going to give you a little cap room if uh, he starts off on long-term IR. So you're able to get some things done. But when you look at the way the Blues have, have set up their defensive core and you've got a top four of Krug, Falk, Pareko, and Scandella, however you want to uh, mix those four up, you know, now you still have a Robert Bortuzzo, and then and then it's it, it's Mikola, it's Perunovic, it, it's a battle for those spots, and if you know, and, and sometimes you got to have a little room for there. So, if after camp opens up, the Blues feel like they still would like to have another veteran uh, D-man or presence back there, I still think that there's something by a trade or you know a, a pickup of a guy looking for a job that can still turn around and help them out. So they'll, they'll be fine on that front. And I like the fact that you're leaving the door open for one of these younger guys to step up and take a role, which had to happen in a cap era. Like you, it, it, your young guys have got to play a, a, a really strong role if you're going to manage the cap properly.
Curbs, it'll be fun to open up camp this week, have our first preseason game on Saturday night. Always good to hear your voice, and we will see you over at the rink. Sounds great. You too. Have an awesome start to your week. You too. Thanks. That is the Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joining us as he does every Monday here on 101 ESPN with Carriker and Smallman. The fight coming your way next. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Carriker and Smallman. Welcome back to Character and Smallman on this Monday. It is 8.37. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it is time for the fight. Our Monday challenger is Travis, who will be taking Randy Character on in a sports trivia competition. Good morning, Travis. How are you? I'm doing well. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Travis, did you have a great weekend? Uh, yeah, but... Now I got to go back to work, and I was just on vacation, so it's it's not good anymore. Oh man, where were you on vacation? <laughs> uh, I got to play golf and spend time with the family, and go out to eat and sleep late. It was awesome. Oh, so it was a staycation. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. nice. Much needed. Nice. Much well, needed. well, see, let's turn that frown upside down and think. Today is not the day I have to go back to work from vacation. Today is the day I beat Randy Carricker in the fight. Sounds awesome. (laughs) All right, Travis, here we go. Good luck. On this day in 2013, Alex Rodriguez hit his 24th career Grand Slam, putting him atop the all-time leaderboard in Major League Baseball. Who did he pass to achieve this feat? Was it Lou Gehrig, Willie McCovey, or Ted Williams? Uh, One more time. Give me the choices. Sure. Lou Gehrig, Willie McCovey, Ted Williams. Mm, Lou Gehrig. Braves outfielder Eddie Rosario hit for the cycle yesterday, doing so only seeing five pitches. Who was the most recent player to hit for the cycle in a Cardinals uniform? Was it Ray Lankford, Matt Carpenter, or Mark Grudzelanek? Grudzelanek. Question number three for you, Travis. It was announced on Friday that the 2023 Major League Baseball All-Star Game will take place at T-Mobile Park in Seattle. Who was named MVP of the 2009 Major League Baseball All-Star Game here at Bush Stadium? Was it Jonathan Papelbon, Carl Crawford, or Ichiro Suzuki? Crawford. And who is Mizzou football's all-time leader in rushing yards? Is it Brad Smith? Larry Roundtree or Zach Abron? Abron. Okay. Checking our score. Randy is on his way in. Strong performance from Travis. Strong performance. How do you feel, Travis? Uh, not great. Not great. You should feel pretty good. <laughs> I'm good. Just, awesome. I'm just telling you, you should feel pretty good. Uh, Randy, say good morning to Travis, who is just coming back to work after a nice staycation. Travis, congratulations on the staycation, and welcome back to work, and thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Thank you, sir. You love a staycation. Staycations are cool, yeah. I do, it's, uh, I, I do stuff at home, and I, you know, I can you golf. play golf here, ride yeah. my bike here. Yeah. yeah so. 
That's good. I'll, I'll do a vacation now and then, too. You're taking some time off soon. I all, am. All staycations? Uh, I think we're going to head to New York at the in November, but pretty much staycations. Yeah. I, so I was looking on our... Uh, on our setup for our time and everything, and I clicked on my vacations how much I would have on December 31st, and it said 206 hours. That's I a said, lot. Oh, I better start taking some vacations. That's a lot. <laughs> but during uh, 2020, I don't think any of us yeah. took vacation. Where are no. you going to go? Yeah, who, who went anywhere, right? <laughs> yeah, so we have a lot of hours to burn. Yep. All right, Randy, are you ready? Ready. On this day in 2013, Alex Rodriguez hit his 24th career Grand Slam, putting him atop the all-time leaderboard in Major League Baseball. Who did he pass to achieve this feat? 24 for A-Rod. 24 Grand Slams. And I believe he may have been subsequently passed, too. Uh, I'll do the lifeline here. Lou Gehrig, Willie McCovey, Ted Williams. I'll go with uh, the Iron Horse, Lou Gehrig. Braves outfielder Eddie Rosario hit for the cycle yesterday, doing so only seeing five pitches. Who is the most recent player to hit for the cycle in a Cardinals uniform? That would have been Mark Redzelanik in 2005, I believe. It was announced on Friday that the 2023 Major League Baseball All-Star Game is going to take place at T-Mobile Park in Seattle. Who was named MVP of the 2009 Major League Baseball All-Star Game here at Busch Stadium? Okay, I always get this messed up. Um, I think it was Prince Fielder. I'll go with Prince Fielder. And who is Mizzou football's all-time leader in rushing yards? All-time leader in rushing yards. I think this may surprise people that it's Brad Smith. We have a tie. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a tie on a Monday. Travis and Randy both got three correct. They each got one incorrect, a different question. But either way, three correct. We're heading to the tiebreaker round. So, Travis, here's how this is going to work. I'm going to read the question. As soon as I'm done reading, Randy's going to write his answer down on a sheet of paper. We're going to give you first crack at it. You're going to reveal your answer. We'll give you about 10 seconds. Randy will share with us what he wrote down on a sheet of paper. First person to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. Travis, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Randy, are you ready? I am ready. Oh, I love this question. Emily, great job. Thank you. Here is your tiebreaker question. How many total pitches did Chris Carpenter throw in game five of the 2011 NLDS against the Philadelphia Phillies? One more time. How many total pitches did Chris Carpenter throw in game five of the 2011 NLDS against the Philadelphia Phillies? Okay. Randy is showing me his answer here. Travis, balls in your court, my friend. Uh, how many pitches? One hundred and one. Travis guessed one hundred and one. Randy Carricker guessed one hundred and eleven. Oh, this is like a showcase showdown. Oh, no. Is today the Monday that Travis returns to work after a staycation or is today the day that Travis beat Randy Carricker in the fight? Emily, let him know. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. 
Travis, you were so close. So close to having today be a different day than the day you come back from a staycation and you go to work. Okay. So Alex Rodriguez hit his 24th career Grand Slam on this day in 2013, passing Lou Gehrig to achieve this feat. Lou Gehrig with 23 Grand Slams, second all time. The most recent Cardinals player to hit for the cycle was Mark Grudzelanek, April 28th, 2005 versus Milwaukee. The MVP of the 2009 Major League Baseball All-Star Game here at Bush Stadium was outfielder Carl Crawford. Yeah, I always get that wrong. I think Fielder may have won the home run derby. He did. And Mizzou football's all-time leader in rushing yards is Brad Smith, 4,289 yards from 2002 to 2005. Now, this incredible tiebreaker question was, how many total pitches did Chris Carpenter throw in Game 5 of the 2011 NLDS against the Philadelphia Phillies? Epic game. Travis guessed 101. Randy guessed 111. The correct answer is 110. Randy, you were one off. One off in that nine innings from Chris Carpenter in a a CG shut piece, as Dallas Braden liked to say. CG shut piece. So, Travis, so close, but I'm sorry. Today, you're just going to have to go back to work. Randy! Randy! What? (laughs) You're going to rub it in with Travis. Bummed out. He's got to go back to work. Anyway, Travis, we hope you have a, a good week. Thank you for joining us. It's okay. I can still always win the lottery. <laughs> yes, That's true. That's true. Thanks so much for playing, and thank you very much for listening to us. We do appreciate it. Have a great week uh, week of work. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks, Trav. You know, here, I like that we're on the on the Trav basis here. Just win, baby. I I thought maybe you wouldn't do it because we, our man was coming back from vacation, but you just said no. Had to. Had I, thought, to. I thought we were going to save all I do is win for the average Joe listener. Randy's concerned we may never play it then. Yeah, we'll... We'll come up with Since something for them. Since that's the Rams. We'll, we, we've got an idea for them. We'll come up with something for them. Okay, cool. A uh, couple of notes. Number one, thanks to everybody who came out for Hot Dogs with Heroes on Saturday to benefit Code 3 response over at Chesterfield Mall. We raised a ton of money for first responders who are injured either in or out of the line of duty. It's a great cause, and Code 3 response did a fantastic job, and it was huge on Saturday. So thanks if you were able to make it out there. And Today, we have the Every Child's Hope Golf Tournament out at Old Hickory, and ECH has been in town for 160 years. They support families and kids that have lost parents. Think about that. Think about a kid that has lost a parent either to death or to incarceration, and they don't have a home. So ECH provides food and shelter and clothing and education and psychiatric help and medical facilities and family crisis support. And in the current Missouri administration, funding for helping these kids has been dramatically cut back. So we try to raise funds to help out these defenseless kids because the government isn't. So I want to thank my friends at Dr. Pepper. They provide the drinks. Rob Wetzel is a great guy and he's been there since day one. Gray Eagle Distributors, Brian Dunlop and the people over there provide the beer. Thanks to them. Thanks to Todd Stimson and Rob Brown from Potbelly. They provide the lunch, and it's delicious. So if you're thinking about lunch today, Potbelly. And Chris Muir and Golf Discount for the prizes and the winners. Chris was actually playing Pebble Beach last week and only lost one ball. That's it? He lost one ball at Pebble Beach. Congratulations, Chris. He's a great man, and thanks to Chris and Golf Discount for providing the prizes. And to learn more about what ECH does, you can go to everychildshope.org, the tournament today over at Old Hickory. Coming up, we've got four downs in the NFL on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is time now for... 
You're killing me, Small. So, Randy, on Saturday, T.J. Friedel made his MLB debut as a pinch hitter for the Cincinnati Reds on Saturday. So, yesterday, he got back into the game, and in his second career at bat, this happened. First pitch, T.J. Friedel to right field, home run. His second major league at bat. And you're probably thinking, Michelle, why do I care about T.J. Friedel's first career home run and a second career at bat for the Reds? Who cares? Well, here's why you should care. Because Dodgers outfielder Mookie Betts realized that this was T.J. Friedel's first career home run. So what did he do? He's out in the outfield. He gets the attention of the fan who caught the ball, who is a Reds fan. He asks for the ball. Mookie Betts is mouthing to him. You can tell he's trying to barter with him. He comes back in the next inning with a bat for the fan. So he went out of his way to make sure that he talked to a fan of the opposing team to get a bat to give it to this fan so that he could get T.J. Friedel his first career home run ball. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome. First of all, the self-awareness to, or or not the self-awareness, just the overall awareness to recognize that it is another player's first career home run and then to be caring enough to get the ball for the player from the opposing team and to engage with the opposing team's fans. There's a lot that goes into that. That's very cool, and I can't think of a lot of Major League Baseball players, really nice Major League Baseball players, that would do what Mookie Betts did. Same. A lot of guys are, and it's not even that they're bad guys, maybe they're just too locked into the game, or they're Mm -hmm. not that aware of the opponent, and they don't understand that this is his first career home run, but I just thought Mookie Betts going above and beyond making the extra effort to do that for a a player on the opposing team was amazing. And we need more of that in the world. We need more people going above and beyond to do something cool for strangers. It's really cool. And my guess is, is that that Reds fan is going to be a Mookie Betts fan forever as well. That bat will be hanging proudly in their house. I think TJ Friedel is going to be a Mookie Betts fan forever. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, so I read an interesting story, Randy, about Peyton Manning. So there's been talk about the Broncos and a pending sale and ownership. And a lot of people are wanting, wondering if Peyton Manning could somehow be involved in that. League sources have indicated that Peyton Manning has already spoken to some people about potentially getting involved in this. And the team is is not currently for sale. There's no timetable as to when it's going to come on the market. But a lot of people think that the team could be in new hands as early as next year. Estimations are that the franchise could sell in the range of about $4 billion. Peyton Manning really aware of this situation. He obviously has roots in Denver, won a Super Bowl there, finished his career there. And a lot of people who know him know that he's super competitive and wants to be involved in the NFL in a meaningful way and that he could have his sights set on getting into Broncos ownership. That would be very interesting. What would be really interesting is that Peyton Manning would become John Elway's boss. <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> that would be interesting. But I don't know what role he would take in, if it would be strictly an investor, if he would want to have some sort of a management role, if he would want to have an investor slash partial football operations role. But... This does not surprise me at all that Peyton Manning would go the route of ownership because he's obviously made a lot of money. He obviously is a very dynamic personality that has been the face of many franchises and could bring a certain level of cachet to an ownership group. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see this happen. But Peyton Manning, very busy in retirement, yeah, really. going into the Hall of Fame. He's now a broadcaster. He's doing his own show. He's talking about owning a team. He is not laying low at all. No. A lot of consternation, by the way, about 
who was going to what was going to happen with the Broncos upon the death of their owner Pat Bolin because half of his kids wanted to sell and the other half didn't and this might be the perfect medium for them is you, the ones that want to to keep the franchise and by the way it's going to be valued at about four billion dollars I would think but the the ones that want to keep the franchise can keep their peace with a guy that they like and know and trust in Peyton Manning and the other ones can sell their portion of the franchise to Peyton Manning. Do you think that he would be successful if he was in football operations at all? Because everybody thought John Elway would be somebody that could identify quarterbacks. He's one of the greatest to ever do it. And I, th- I think it's been eye-opening for a lot of people to see it's not so easy that sometimes that that skill of being able to do it doesn't translate into evaluation. How do you think Peyton Manning would fare? I think he would be just fine. I think that, number one, Peyton Manning knows what he doesn't know. And number two, the Colts, and I don't know if the Broncos did this, but the Colts had him evaluate players a lot, offensive linemen and receivers. So he has a history of picking out players that win. So I, w- I think he would be just fine in that. Role. Tom Brady, too. I right. know that the Bucks talked yeah. about how he has say in personnel decisions and that he watches tape and evaluates players before the draft for them. Um, I don't know if Tom Brady will want to do anything like that in his post-playing career. He might want to just lay low and eat some dairy. I don't, I don't think know. he's going to have a post-playing career. I think he's going to just play until he <laughs> dies at 90. Gosh. I mean, he's talking with Gronk and Tommy and Gronky on the Bucks website about 50. 50 yeah. So who knows? And when he's 50, it'll be, hey, can Tom Brady play till, till he's 55? It'll just keep be, being drawn out. Well, you know, guys always talk about when they retire, how weird it is to not have that structure and not have mm-hmm. that camaraderie that they have in the locker room and not have that competitive need inside them be satiated. Can you imagine if you're Tom Brady? You didn't just do this for five years. You didn't just do this for 10 years. This has been your entire life. And whenever he does decide to hang it up, for that to come to a screeching halt, that's going to be quite the shock for him from a from a life standpoint. What do I do now? Right. But at least he'll be able to do it on his terms. He's going to be able to play until he doesn't want to play anymore. Somebody will have him as their quarterback. And as he says, I'm still having fun. And as long as he's having fun, somebody should let him keep playing. Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. And thanks for your texts. Coming up, uh, we, we, we want to hear your texts and mic drops about the Cardinals sweep and how you're feeling about the ball club. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Man, Cardinals are always the Cardinals. You know, you can never underestimate the Cardinals. 1-1. One, one. And Carlson sends a fly ball out to deep center. It's at the wall. It's off the wall, plays it perfectly. Here's his throw to second. He got him. Oh, a Dylan Carlson with a strike to second. The 2 2. O'Neill with the drive. Out to left. And it's He got it. It's a two run shot. Tyler O'Neill. The Redbirds on top. Here in the egg. As Slips a high fly ball into deep right field. Back in Carlson. Oh, he caught it. What a catch. How about this start? An incredible play. Dylan Carlson in right. Here he comes. Oh, no. The fly ball in 
to shallow center. Tatis dropped it. He drops it. The throw to the plate, not in time. The Cardinals score a run and still nobody out. He tried to get Tommy Edmond. One, two pitch. Fly ball into center. This will do it. You want eight in a row? You got it. It's a sweep of San Diego. It's 10 games above 500. And this team is rolling. 8-7 the final. Danny Mack had the call on Valley Sports over the weekend. The Cardinals have won eight in a row. It's 9.05. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I'm Randy Carricker, and that's Michelle Smallman. And I know that Danny Mack is our teammate, and he is our friend. But my gosh, is he the best in the business. He's great, isn't he? He knows how to deliver the moment. He matches the intensity. He somehow, with the call, can always convey exactly what Cardinals fans are feeling at the moment, whether it's the excitement of a weekend like this or if it's a meltdown in the ninth inning. Danny Mack is so good. And when I worked at ESPN and I worked nights, we had access to all of the broadcasts from every different market. And I used to try to check in on other markets because I never really got the opportunity to do that. And I cannot express to you how lucky we are to have great broadcasters in St. Louis like Danny Mack. He's the best. We really are. And we want to know how you're feeling. Does Dan reflect your excitement? We've got Mike Drops and this on 101 ESPN is Chris. That weekend soundtrack of the Cardinals highlights got me so jacked up. Let's go birds. There you go, Chris. I'm telling you, how do you hear that and not get so excited about this team? And the 2011 Cardinals were in the house on Saturday. And I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves because the Cardinals still have a long way to go, including this series on deck tonight versus Milwaukee and another series versus Milwaukee down the stretch and the Cubs who would love to play spoiler for the Cardinals. But aren't you starting to get that familiar feeling, Randy, with a team that everybody counted out, a team that was so far back in the standings, you thought they never had a shot, a team who got hot at the right time, a team where the front office went and acquired some pitching help that a lot of people kind of shrugged their shoulders at that's been instrumental down the stretch. There was a lot of threads here that are the same. And Michelle, this morning in Boston, even though their team's won five in a row, they're talking about the Patriots. They are. This morning in New York, they're talking about the Giants and the Jets. This morning in L.A., they're talking about LeBron. They might be talking a little Dodgers, but they're talking their football, too. Here in St. Louis, it's baseball, baseball, baseball. Even though Blues training camp starts on Wednesday, it's baseball, baseball, baseball. This right here and right now is why Nolan Arenado wanted to be a Cardinal. If you were in the house in any of the games this weekend and you felt that feeling and you felt that excitement again and you start to have those feelings creep into your mind, there's nothing better than thinking that your team has a chance. Mm -hmm. And that's what the Cardinals have given us. And that's what Nolan Arenado has craved. That's what Paul Goldschmidt has craved. That's why Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright want to stay in St. Louis as long as they can. That's why Jack Flaherty constantly talks about how much he appreciates St. Louis and this organization because it's not just that the organization is all always in the mix and that they have the rich history of winning. It's that when Bush Stadium is rocking, it's one of the best places in sports. Let's get another mic drop. This is Paul next. 
I'm still cautiously optimistic. It's not that I don't want to take my belief to the next level. Uh, I've just, I've seen it before. So now, you know, it's not that I don't love what Bro Neal's doing or, you know, Goldie going on his tear. Sosa's been awesome. But like I said, we've seen it before. Um, now we've seen you do it against teams that are just like you, the teams that have hovered around 500 all year long. You know, Reds, Mets, Padres. Let's see what you do the next three days against this 90-win Milwaukee team. That's going to be the big test for me. And if we, you know, if we do well here in the next three games, then I'll start to take my belief to the next level. But until then, I'm still, I'm still very cautious. There's nothing wrong with being cautious. I understand. Yep. You, prior to this stretch, you had a lot of concerns about this team. You didn't see it consistently. There were a lot of questions mm-hmm. about this team. Randy, we started talking about 2022. So I understand mm-hmm. wanting to protect your heart and protect your emotions a little bit. But all I can say is rides like this don't come along often, so enjoy it while you can. Definitely. I know we've got some text. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. How about this one, Randy, from the 314? For the first time since May, I've been excited about the Cardinals. Well, in May, they were in first place. So I get that. After what happened in June and the inconsistency of July and August, I totally get that. And it's cool to be excited. From the 314, I was feeling anxious about the Dodgers winning the West. Now I look at that game and I have faith that the Cardinals will win the wild card matchup. I sure hope that they play the Dodgers in the wild card. I'd much rather play the Giants in a division series. And I don't want to see the Dodgers for five games. I only want to see the Dodgers for one, win that, and then you match up a lot better against the Giants than you do against the Dodgers, even though the Giants all year long have had the best record in baseball and they've been unbelievable and they're going to win over 100 games. It's incredible. From the 314, I'm shocked that the Cardinals were able to pull off back-to-back sweeps. I'm very excited about this team. They're getting hot at exactly the right time. Reminds me so much of 2011. There's a lot of parallels, a lot of similarities there. And Mark McGuire was talking about that the other day, how he saw some of the same things happening with this team that happened in 2011. From the 618, I'm feeling excited, but at the same time, I'm still waiting for the bottom to fall out. That's the great thing about sports is that you do. And then hopefully it never does. But that, yeah, that's the best feeling is feeling like you've never felt more alive, but Mm -hmm. also like you could die at any moment when you're so invested that it's all you can think about. This is what we love about Cardinal baseball. It means so much here. It's a zip line. It's a zip line. Let's get to another mic drop quickly from Steve, who joins us on 101 ESPN. Boy, I kind of think, how could you not feel good about this team right now i mean they just swept two teams in a row this is supposed to be you know the gauntlet here in september and so far they've handled it like wink wink champs i personally have thought all year long that most of the time they have underperformed i mean i thought on paper especially this lineup on paper save for maybe a couple spots in the lineup but i thought on paper this was a a team and a lineup that you know, was going to compete for a division. We got all the injuries and the pitching and everything, but I think this lineup has just underperformed. I know everybody's calling for Jeff Albert to be fired, that it's his fault, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's the guys at the plate that have to see the ball and hit the ball. And I think they just haven't been able to do that consistently all year. They've underperformed, and now we're seeing, I think, what this lineup and this team is actually capable of, and I hope they just keep keep it rolling. All right. Have a good day, guys. You too, Steve. Thank you very much. Well said. We yeah, are seeing what they're capable yeah. of. Yeah. that's This is 
I hope it's not. I kind of think this is the upper end of what they're capable of, but it's pretty darn good. I guess Dylan Carlson can get better. Dylan Carlson can be, despite the great weekend, he can be a superstar. He's got that sort of talent. How about Jack Flaherty returning? Yeah, that will make them better, too. Hey, with all of this excitement, 101 ESPN is your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for the Cardinals and Brewers on September 28th. And we'll be getting to that point in the season where the Cardinals might be looking at clinching a playoff spot. All right, so keep that in mind. Next Tuesday's Budweiser Bash features an exclusive Rick and Keel bobblehead. Winner must be 21 and over. Tickets courtesy of Budweiser and 101 ESPN. And here's what you need to know. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. morning earlier, we had Jason Tatum on the program. And last season, he decorated some shoes for... One of his favorite Cardinals. And we want to know which player was honored by Jason Tatum with those shoes in a game. If you are a caller in honor of Rick Ankeel as a pitcher, if you're caller number 66. Texter. Texter number 66, yeah. Not 65780. Just want to make sure people aren't trying to look yeah. for a phone number. Yeah, we don't have a phone Because people number. want these tickets. They it's do. amazing, Randy, how quickly people want to yeah. get back to Bush Stadium. Yeah, it is. Texter number 66 to 65780. If you can tell us who, what Cardinal Jason Tatum honored with his shoes last year. That is what we want, and that will get you the four tickets to the Budweiser Bash here on 101 ESPN. That is today's big thing. Coming up, we're going to head to Milwaukee. Will Salmon covers the Brewers for The Athletic. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker, And we head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Will Salmon, who covers the Brewers for The Athletic, kind enough to join us this morning. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Hey, guys. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. I want to start with this. How much fun was it to do the story about the people and with the people that work with Bob Euchre? <laughs> I appreciate you asking. Uh, no, it was a blast. Uh, as you can imagine, he's one of a kind and i mean that i know that gets tossed around very frequently uh as a phrase but he he truly is and you know i'll let people read about it to to find out the ins and outs why but everything that those folks said who have worked with him is is true and i don't know uh, one person in particular said that i don't know if this would happen with anybody else well while he was relaying a story and i don't think so either so it's truly one of a kind guy so a blast to do that type of story for him well, Will, a big series between the Cardinals and the Brewers opening tonight. What's the feeling in Milwaukee right now about the surging Cardinals who have won eight in a row? Kind of like we expected this to happen. <laughs> I guess like just like they're so used to seeing the Cardinals get on a run in September that it was a sort of a when, not if situation for a lot of people here. I feel like that's the way they're viewing them. Um, and as they should, I mean, it's such a, such a great uh, franchise um, and with a really good roster. I felt like that it was just a matter of time before they got hot and they got going because all year it was like you were waiting for them to make that push. And I never really felt like they were playing their best baseball up until right about now. So it's good to see for, for my vantage point, I don't know, for Brewers fans, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's something that was they anticipated coming at this point, and they're not surprised to see it happen as they uh, visit Milwaukee, no, no less. And Will, even with this surge, the Brewers are going to win the division, and certainly Craig Council is going for it. But do you think that they'll set up their pitching? I, I would guess that they'll want to set up their pitching in the last week of the season to get ready for the playoffs. Is that the way Council generally will approach it? 
I believe so, yeah. And that, that makes the most sense, right? Because the, the magic number is three. So if they end up beating the Cardinals um, back-to-back here Monday, Tuesday, then the division's wrapped up and everything's taken care of. So that's the ideal situation for the Brewers. And if that would be the case, then I would imagine some regulars taking breaks in the lineup, of course. Um, and the pitching staff, no doubt, they would schedule it accordingly um, to what they see as best. And I assume that would be Woodruff, Burns, Peralta, uh, one, two, and three. And then it gets interesting to see what they do with uh, their number four situation. Uh, but, yeah, I would I would anticipate them lining up accordingly um, to get those guys on track. Um, it's a fine line because you want to keep those guys fresh, but you also don't want to push them. Um, so I would anticipate those guys making starts. Um, but in a way that, like you said, is designed and orchestrated so that it lines up the way that they want it to um, come the first week of October. Well, the people that only watch the Cardinals, they think Adrian Hauser is Walter Johnson and that he should start game one. <laughs> <laughs> that was unbelievable. That yeah, yeah, I don't blame them. If that's the way they feel after that. Uh, I can assure you he is not exactly the big train, but uh, he has got a really good sinker. When, I, when that pitch is commanded, when he has good command of that pitch, uh, the other team's in trouble because that's one of the, you know, if you look at advanced statistics um, or whatever website you want, that's a top 10 pitch in baseball this year. It's really good he's he, he's found a way to um, get both lefties and righties out with that um before this year lefties were kind of a kryptonite for him but he's figured out figured that out a little bit um so that they, he's able to limit the damage against lefties and if that pitch is rolling he's he's pretty he's pretty good um and he's hard to beat because he gets a lot of soft contact and this defense uh particularly uh the infield when everybody's healthy is really sound. I mean, they make the spectacular plays, but they also make the unspectacular plays and they make the routine plays um, pretty easily or pretty handedly, I should say. Well, another person that the Brewers want to make sure is ready for the postseason is Willie Adamas. He's been on the injured list dealing with that left quad muscle that's been bothering him since early August. Friday was the first day that he was eligible to come off the IL, but Craig Council wanted to give him a few more days. But you expect him to be in the lineup tonight versus the Cardinals? As of now, I, I would I would anticipate that um, all signs pointed that way over the weekend. Um, that's not a sure thing quite yet. I haven't heard that he's going to be in exactly yet. It's kind of too early in the day, but um, that it would it would be sort of what was anticipated going into today because that's what. Craig Council alluded to, and by all accounts, William Thomas himself has said that he's he's felt good. He's felt on track. A few days ago, he threw out like the 90% figure. So I feel like he's doing okay, and it's one of those deals where if they were in a push or they were in a situation similar to the Cardinals where they had to win to get in, then Adamus would have been playing, I feel like. Um, but because they are in the situation that they're in, they were they were able to uh, rest him. Um, now I feel like the next two weeks, these last two weeks of the regular season, will serve as a way to kind of get him back going again, uh, get some at-bats under his belt, and um, getting feeling comfortable at the plate um, heading into the postseason. And, Will, I wanted to ask you about the Brewers as a whole. For the past four seasons, they've been really a strong contender. They're going to win the division for the first – or, excuse me, the second time in the past four seasons. But what has David Stearns done? How has he built this into one of the model organizations in baseball? Yeah, he has really – from day one, he said he was going to invest in pitching, in pitching and develop pitching. And that's exactly what he's done. If you look at their, their best starters – 
you mentioned Adrian Hauser should be included in this, but you know, obviously at the top it's Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta. You could also throw in Adrian Hauser and their guys in the bullpen, Josh Hader, Devin Williams, uh, list goes on. Uh, they develop pitchers. All those guys I just named are, are all homegrown, or in the case of Hauser and Hader, which were acquired as prospects. Um, so they've been through their system. All these guys have graduated through their their farm system and have developed into you know frontline pitchers really um, in baseball, and so he's invested in a support staff, a development staff, an analytics team. Um, so it's a very forward-thinking front office group um, that has been ahead of the curve, if you will, on what works as far as developing pitchers, um, what they should emphasize. And guys have bought in. It's been the same pitching coach here for the last couple of years. And, he, and Chris Hook has been the guy who was with them through the farm system as their roving minor league pitching coordinator. Um, so it's a lot of sameness in this organization. And so they've retained and they've also developed these guys. And I think that's what starts it because that's really the core. As much as people pointed at Yelich before this year, uh, Christian Yelich is as, as as much as he's important to this team and he's under contract for a really long time, the foundation, um, the bedrock of this team is their pitching staff. And with that being the case, Will, I would think that as we approach the postseason and the way that the Brewers have performed against most of the contenders in the National League, the fact that they don't have to play the Tigers, Royals, and Twins is a big deal for the postseason. They they should feel pretty good about the way they're headed into the playoffs and the performance they've had against the other contenders. Yeah, they made the right move, right, in leaving the American League when they <laughs> totally. did. Uh, they would have had some trouble. Uh, but no, yeah, they, they, they've more than held their own versus the contenders, like you said. Um, they fared very well against the Dodgers early in the year, and that was so early in the year, it probably doesn't matter at this point, especially because of who the Dodgers are now. Um, so that's just more of a for what it's worth. But um, they, they, they look pretty good against the Giants in San Francisco. Um, they took three out of four games against them. And um, they played they played well against the Cardinals for the most part. Um, and so, yeah, they're a good team. Uh, my question for them heading into the postseason is if they're going to hit enough. Um, in the second half, they've been a completely different lineup. Um, a lot of that's been because of the new acquisition via trades. Um, and they've had some injuries, like you mentioned, with Billy Adamas. So that's why the lineup hasn't been hitting as well as they have. Um, but the way I see it is they're going to see pitching staffs very similar to theirs. And so they're going to have to find a way to win those close games, those two to one, three to one type type games and outscore the opponent, um, even if that means by just more than one or two runs. Will Salmon, great work at The Athletic, great work this morning with us. We appreciate you taking the time. Enjoy the week against the Cardinals, and we'll see you here in St. Louis next week. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you. Take care. That's Will Salmon, covers the Brewers for The Athletic on 101 ESPN, and I referenced the Royals, Tigers, and Twins. Brewers went 3-11 and against those three teams. Not great. No, but they're fine against the Dodgers. They're fine against the Giants. They're fine against the Cardinals. Fine against the Braves. They're two and five against Philly, but I don't think that's real. I, if the Brewers play the Phillies, if the Phillies would win the East, and that would be a first-round series, the Brewers would win it. Yes, and I think right now they're probably just zeroing in on the Braves because that seems more likely. Right. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, four downs from Sunday in the NFL on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Day number two in the NFL, four downs from Carriker and Smallman. First down. 
Randy, year three is always a critical one in a newish regime. Everything either clicks or it's usually the time where people start calling for you to pull the plug. And it seems like year three of the Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray experiment is more of the former and it's happening in a pretty big way. Kyler Murray looks like he's taking a step up in the quarterback tiers. He's looking like a legit MVP candidate right now. He put on a show in the Cardinals 34-33 win over the Vikings yesterday. 400 yards, four touchdowns, including one rushing touchdown. And the Cardinals now sit at 2-0. and He looks like an elite player with an MVP potential and this team looks like it's ready to contend in the tough NFC West. K1 is fast, he's elusive, he can improvise, and we saw it in the second quarter yesterday. They're all 23. Murray reverses. Murray looks long. He's got a receiver. That kid is a natural. That 77 touchdown pass was just an example of how electric and special Kyler Murray can be. And after we watched the Sunday night football matchup that featured Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, I wonder if we're talking about Kyler Murray in that same category next season. I would not be surprised. I think they're going to be really good. And I thought they were one of the underrated teams coming into the season. And I still think that they are overlooked, especially because of the division that they're in. But I think they'll cause some havoc in that division. Second down. Michelle, how about the Las Vegas Raiders? It's one thing to win on a Monday night opener, first game before your fans in a new stadium against a decimated Ravens team. But the Raiders fly across the country after Monday night. They go from the Pacific time zone to the Eastern time zone, and they throttled the Steelers. It's another thing altogether, beating the Steelers is. Derek Carr shredded the Pittsburgh defense for 382 yards and a couple of touchdowns. He now has 350-plus passing yards and two-plus touchdowns passing in three straight games batting back, dating back to 2020. That's the longest streak in team history. Next week, the Raiders host our Dolphins, probably without Tua, uh. before another home game October 4th against the Chargers at SoFi Stadium. Is it time to throw some respect on Derek Carr's name? Big time. Is it time to throw some respect on John Gruden's name? Big time. Yeah. They're, they're doing it. They're changing the culture. They're building slowly but surely. And that's a really good team right now. They're, that's a threat. To go and do it without Josh Jacobs, their starting running back in Pittsburgh, that's really impressive. And by the way, again, I said before they have another home game October 4th against the Chargers at SoFi Stadium. Oh, yes, you did say that. Yeah. It took me a second to register there because it was a home game for Dallas yesterday. You're right. Yeah, same thing. Man. Hey, as long as people are buying tickets, yep. I'm sure they don't care who's in those <laughs> seats. And by they, I mean Stan Kroenke and the NFL. Right. No right. doubt. Right. Third down. Randy, what's that Carrie Underwood song? She sings there's something in the water. Well, there must be something in the Gatorade, and it needs to change. They need to swap out that Gatorade because there were so many quarterback injuries in the NFL yesterday. Let's just run through some of them. Carson Wentz, we knew that he missed a lot of the summer rehabbing an ankle injury. He had a second ankle injury, a different one, late against the Rams yesterday. He left in the fourth quarter. His coach, Frank Reich, said he rolled it pretty bad. He's going to undergo some further tests in the coming days. We don't know if he's going to be available for that week three matchup against 
Tennessee. Andy Dalton for the Bears. He left in the first half with an injured ankle. He tried to come back and play, but he left again. Justin Fields came in to play in the second half. Baker Mayfield had an injury. He had a left shoulder injury. He was helped off the field with that issue. He ended up coming back into the game, but still, he suffered an injury as well. You mentioned our guy, Tua. He was carted off the field. He took a hard hit. NFL Network, I think it's Tom Pelissero, reported some bruised ribs for Tua, and he looked like he was in a lot of pain. Those x-rays came back negative, but who knows what his availability is going to be for week three. And a very interesting storyline developing in Houston with Tyrod Taylor getting injured with a hamstring. He This was in the first half in their game versus the Brown. Davis Mills came in for the second half, but a lot of people wondering if this is now Deshaun Watson time in Houston. What do they do? What do they do? Big time questions in Houston. What do you do if you're them? He's the only other quarterback on your roster. I don't think they have one on the practice squad. Do you roll with Davis Mills? Yeah, Davis Mills with uh, with Watson as the backup. Whew. And then cross your fingers about Tyrod. Yeah. Cross your but fingers. How, big but time. how tempting is it to go with Deshaun if you're them? Yeah. No I doubt. mean, gosh. Yeah. Fourth down. Hey, Michelle, the Titans coaching staff finally figured it out. In the first six quarters of the season, Derrick Henry had 30 carries for 103 yards and no touchdowns, and Tennessee was 0-1, looking at 0-2 as they trailed 24-9 at Seattle. Not so fast, my friend. (laughs) The Titans started feeding Henry the ball. He carried 22 times in the second half for 147 yards and his first three touchdowns of the year, including a 60-yarder, and Tennessee won in overtime 33-30. Hey, Mike Vrabel, I know you have a new offensive coordinator. Maybe he didn't see this guy before. Just tell him, hey, that number 22, he's pretty good. Just give him the ball. Now the Titans host the Colts before going to Jacksonville and the Jets, and they have a great chance to be 4-1 after that 0-1 0-1 start. Yeah, he's, he's pretty good. Yeah, just hand him the ball. Yeah, you might want to give it yeah. to him. 30 carries in six quarters. Not great play calling by the Titans to start the season, but at least they figured it out, so let's give him credit for that. That was an interesting game yesterday, though. I got to catch the tail end of that one, and I thought Seattle was going to pull it off, but a big win for the Titans. Really was huge. And tonight, you've got the Lions and Packers here on 101 ESPN, 630 with the pregame. Go A.A. Ron and go T.J. Hawkinson. We need this. We need this for our fantasy team. In the Adam Wainwright Big League Impact League. Aaron Rodgers burned us last week. Randy and I had a debate. Do we go with Justin Herbert or do we stick with Rodgers? And Randy convinced me. He said there's no way Aaron Rodgers has back-to-back terrible performances. So I hope you're right. Talked to Wayno yesterday. Told him that we were going back to the Aaron Rodgers well. He said, I didn't like the look in Aaron's eyes. I couldn't do it. So he didn't like the look in his eyes against the Saints. I didn't feel great about it either. But I understand your rationale. It's against Detroit. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. I repeat, I hope you're right. (laughs) I do too. I hope you're right. Because (laughs) if you're not, I'm taking control. Yeah, I don't blame you. (laughs) Those are four downs on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to cross things over with the voice of the Cardinals on Bally Sports, Danny Mack. He's had a fun eight games in a row, and hopefully it'll be a fun 12 games in a row after this series with Milwaukee. Danny's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. (laughs) 
Dan McLaughlin has been on the call for eight straight Cardinal wins. They've won 10 of 11. They've moved three and a half ahead in the National League wildcard race. And it's just fun. It's fun, fun, fun. It's a lot of fun. I, were you directing that to me or yes, to I Emily was. or to, to, to you? Okay. This is the crossover. This is a crossover to the Danny Mac show yeah. featuring BK. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, somebody asked me, it was a week ago on Monday. They said, you think this team gets in? And I said, I think, let me answer that on Monday, meaning a week from uh, a week ago. I feel pretty good about it. It's not done yet, obviously, but you know, you, you, at some point, you got to give them a ton of credit for what they did. They split with the Dodgers, took two of three against Cincinnati. They sweep the Mets and then sweep the Padres. I mean, this is exactly what they had to do, and then some. I didn't, you know, I didn't think they had to do this, but they did um, to put themselves in a position in the final two weeks to hold their own destiny. Um, I think looking at the schedule, how it plays out. So you have Milwaukee and Chicago left. Uh, the Phillies are hanging around, and that's the one that would concern me. So they've got the Phillies have three against uh, the Orioles, four against the Pirates at home this week. They close with three at Miami. So their schedule is, um, you know, conducive for a lot of winning there. And, you know, we'll see how the Cardinals play. It's, it's, and I always find it interesting. We were talking about this before. Once Milwaukee wraps it up, which they could wrap it up the division against the Cardinals here um, in this series, what do they do then down the stretch mm-hmm. with their pitching? So what will that pitching look like when they get to St. Louis next week? Are you going to see bullpen starts? Are you going to see uh, Peralta only go four innings and Burns go four innings? And then it opens up the chance to maybe not see those guys if they're on that night for seven or eight, which you'd see in the regular season. So we'll see how it plays out in the final couple of weeks. It's going to be fun. It really is. And there's a lot of impressive things happening with the Cardinals right now, Dan. But I think at the top of the list for me is some of the players seeing out of your outfielders. Dylan Carlson with some huge moments in this series. And Tyler O'Neill seems like he's developing into a star in front of our very eyes. I would love to roll back what you said. I said, Randy said, the station said this time last year on the outfield. Yes. Great call. Uh, All of us. You yep. know, saying, man, this this outfield just isn't producing. And they, they you know, Dylan Carlson is struggling. And, uh, you know, at this point last year, Tyler O'Neill was sometimes not even starting. Remember in the finale against San Diego in a deciding series game? Um, he need, I think he was up. He could have been pinch hit and used as a pinch hitter and wasn't. I think it was Austin Dean. And now you you push it forward. And I, I think at, at this point, you, you have to give the front office credit for this in saying, hey, we were going to find out about our outfielders. Well, we're finding out about those guys, Mm -hmm. Um, and especially Tyler O'Neill. I think that was the one on all of them. You know, Bader, I think I I pretty much have an understanding is that you're going to get elite defense, and hopefully he's going to get better and better and better against right-handed pitching, which I I do think there's been some um, progress there. Dylan Carlson showed off his skill set this weekend, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, home runs from both sides of the plate. A grand slam, an outfield assist, his eighth, and then uh, the play that he made in the first uh, mm-hmm. uh, the first pitch of the game yesterday. He's only going to get better, and we forget he's 22. And Tyler O'Neill is maybe the best player right now in September, along with Bryce Harper in the National League. I mean, and I give Mike Show credit too because he changed up the lineup too with Edmund, Goldie, O'Neill, 
Arenado. And those four have generated a ton of offense here since he made that move. Now, we'll see if it continues that way. Sometimes you got to shuffle things up. But uh, Tyler O'Neill has just been remarkable. And that, that home run on Saturday, I'll tell you what, guys, I, I don't know if you're watching the game on TV or if you were there or if fans that are listening feel this way. It felt like Cardinal baseball for the first time in two years. Mm-hmm. Now, I know we've yeah, had I was base- watching on TV, and it, it really did. I know we've been back. We had restricted crowds. We've had all that stuff. But this was the first time it felt normal again for me. It was great. And you had the 2011 team in the house. Yeah, that part was great, too. And I know the nostalgia of that is awesome. And those guys, it was great to see a lot of those guys. But I'm telling you, the crowds on really all three nights, but especially Saturday night, and then again really yesterday, they were into it. And I know we've had decent crowds on other games, but nothing like that. And uh, that final homestand should be should be fun. Yeah, it'll be great. And we gave away some tickets to Trent in Manchester for next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash. He was able to answer the question that Jason Tatum decorated his shoes in honor of Lou Brock. Lou oh, did Brock. he really? Yeah. Oh, that's when, cool. When Lou passed away, and we talked to him about that nice. this morning. Very nice. So uh, we, we've got the Cardinals, and you've got the Giants, who have the best record in baseball. They're going to be over 100 wins. you got the Dodgers, who are going to be over 100 wins. And by the way, that's all San Diego has left to play now, is the, the Dodgers and the Giants. So they've got some problems if they want to try to win this thing. Man, they've got... Uh... They got issues. Hey, you, you, in your biggest series of the year, I mentioned this to Michelle earlier, you start two pitchers that got DFA'd within the last month, you do have some problems. Yeah, it's not it's not Machado and Tatis getting into it yeah. into a dugout. That I mean, that stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw that with Yachty and Ponce, yeah, right? I mean, that, that stuff happens. And it got picked up by social media. The problem is, is exactly what you said. When you have Vince Velasquez that can't stand uh, his or keep his spot with a team that's in contention with the Phillies, and then Jake Arrieta, a guy that had been let go, that's your problem in one of your biggest series of the year. And and most people that um, follow the Padres, I was talking to on Saturday about what was going on after the game. And they said, man, it, that was our biggest game of the year. Regardless of the, the incident in the dugout, they were like, that's our biggest game. And, and they finally got good pitching from you, Darvish. And they finally got a good start. You know, they just, generally speaking, have not had a good starts. I think they're 10 and 24 in their last 34 games. That's, that's the difference with their team, you know? Yeah. They, I mean, their lineup is great. I mean, when you've got Tatis, who's got 39 home runs and – a healthy Cronenworth, and I think Machado is an absolute stud. And Hosmer's a good player. Tommy Pham. Tommy Pham, Nola. I mean, that's a good team. It's a good lineup. But they just can't pitch. Yeah. One other thing about your weekend, my daughter follows you on Twitter, and she loves the work that you do on the social medias. Because I take it very seriously, you, as you, you know. You do. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's just very happy that you found so much stuff to be adorable over the course of the weekend. Well, the Emmys last night, of which I didn't watch a minute of, but it, it did pop up in my timeline. I've said this <laughs> multiple times. Like, Jim Hayes is one of the funniest guys I've been around, and he's a New Yorker. Uh, but now he calls himself a St. Louis, but he's got New York roots. His dad, by the way, was a massive entertainer. I don't know if you guys knew yeah. that. No, I didn't know Oh, that. yeah, had, oh. A, had like a gold record and all that stuff. He used to sing the national anthem at Yankee Stadium. So, I mean, he's been around entertainment all his life. He on the red carpet would be absolutely sensational. Oh, he'd be great. 
because he would just mock everything that's going on. And it would be, I said, you'd be a American viral sensation from one night. One night. That's all you Did need. Did you see our photo bomb from yesterday? Oh, there he is. <laughs> With uh, Am Singer and the boys, huh? Yeah. I love it. He also, by the way, photobombed. They didn't realize it on the 2011 guys. <laughs> so there was like Jake Westbrook. I mean, big names from that team. And Jim was in the uh, the suite, of which it, it, it was suites and seats. And so the guys are in the seats. And so the pitcher was taken from a lower seat shooting up. And they didn't know he was behind it. <laughs> and Jim all of a sudden is in behind like that. And they, they all separate. They're like, oh, okay, great picture, guys. You know, all that stuff. And then they start looking at it like, oh, come on. Hayes is in here. And so they had to get back together. And they're like just sending him nasty texts. It was awesome. That's beautiful. He's hilarious, man. That's great. But yes, I would love to see him on the red carpet. Yeah, and he'd be entertaining. I, I felt that some of the uh, the things that I saw on social media were just adorable. I have one here. So E tweeted, no matter the occasion, Billy Porter always understands the assignment. Danny Mac responds, adorable indeed, exclamation point, OMG. Yeah, OMG. <laughs> I mean, of course he does. Got to understand the assignment. I do like it, though. And I, I do wonder for some of the people that follow me and uh, don't realize my sense of humor, whether you think it's funny or not, but maybe people that take me seriously that are not in this town or whatever, and they're like, wait a minute, that's the, isn't that the Cardinal Where's Broadcaster the Cardinal? doing that? <laughs> great. You just got to have a little fun. Yeah, do. What do you have coming up on the Danny Mac show featuring BK? So we'll uh, talk about the weekend that was eight straight wins and uh, Jeff Levering, the voice of the Brewers, will be our guest. So looking forward to that. Looking forward to listening. Okay, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Great job today by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you. Thank you. And Michelle, this was fun. We'll do it again on Tuesday. It was Enjoy Your Golf Tournament, right? I shall. For all of you, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Looking for holiday gifts for less? Come to Ross and say yeah to making your dollar stretch on name brand toys clothes, and gifts. Get the gift of savings this holiday from Ross. Yes for less.